From Impact Alpha, this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company LiquidNet. Joining me in my New York office is Imogen Rose Smith, an investment fellow with the University of California. Hello, Imogen. Hi, Brian. And with us from the San Francisco Bay Area is David Bank, editor and CEO of Impact Alpha. Hi, David. Hi, Brian. Hi, Imogen. Good to be with you both. Well, March 8th is International Women's Day. That occasions a slew of reports and white papers and uh, podcasts about women. This year's International Women's Day also comes at a time when the question of women, women's equal rights, the treatment, discrimination, and sexual harassment of women has moved into the foreground as the political and cultural debate like never before. The revelations about the conduct of Hollywood producers and network TV personalities, CEOs and senators, venture capital and private equity leaders broke open the floodgates of the hashtag MeToo movement, with many women opening up to share their own horrific experiences of sexual assault and harassment, especially in the workplace. Hashtag MeToo also led to hashtag Times Up, an effort to address the quote, systemic inequality and injustice in the workplace that have kept underrepresented groups from reaching their full potential, end quote. What about in the field of impact investing itself? Is it part of the solution or part of the problem? Imogen, what do you think about impact investing in the time of Time's Up? <laughs> well, well, Brian, I, I think it might be a little hashtag sexist that, that you've turned to me. But as, Imogen, as it would, wouldn't it have been hashtag sexist if he turned to me? <laughs> it, it, it's a little bit of a catch-22. Well, Im- David is our resident gender equality expert, but Imogen, you're a resident woman. It is It is true, and I, I did enjoy the way that David spoke over me there as well. <laughs> I think you were trying to mansplain. <laughs> hashtag but, sexism. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think that it, on the one hand, you know, I think that this is an example of where impact investing needs to get out of its own way and stop being so precious, right? These are serious, systemic, social issues about power and wealth that deserve a lot of dedication and attention. And we don't have to see everything through the prism of impact investing in its own specialness. On the other hand, you know, if you think about where impact investing comes out from, it in part is an effort to address the systemic discrimination felt by women and minorities that results in particularly economic inequality, which in turn leads to harassment and discrimination and basically sort of abuse of the people who are vulnerable in our society. And so, you know, it has within it sort of built into its DNA the the idea that the point is to look out for people who are not powerful white men. On the other hand, you know, I think that the industry as a whole does need to do more. And I think that there is, you know, it's, it's easy to sort of feel smug and pat ourselves on the back and think, well, you know, these aren't problems in impact investing, when in fact, you know, they are. The very industries that we look to, venture capital, private equity, clearly have problems or they clearly have problems around discrimination they clearly have problems around women they clearly have problems around minorities and you could argue that impact has not been willing to do enough so uh david as our resident gender expert uh what what say you uh, to imogen's point here i mean does impact 
investing as a field get a pass on these issues because, well, gosh, it's all good people that are trying to, to do good things. So why do you have to give them such a hard time about things like gender equity and uh, racial inclusion and things like that uh, if these are just good people who are trying to uh, do some good projects? Do they get a pass? Well, for, for starters, I'm certainly not a, a, a gender lens investing expert, but I have read this many of these reports that come out are, are always around this, this, this time of year. We actually have a line and I was going to use it again, but then I realized I've used it last year and perhaps the year before of, you know, it's, 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 it's always International Women's Day and in impact investing. Um, I suppose the better line is every day is, is International Women's Day. Um, there's a couple levels of this. The gist of many of these reports is, in fact, inclusion of women, also inclusion of, ra of, of you know, racial inclusion is a impact alpha strategy that there are hidden values, hidden talent, hidden markets, hidden customers, hidden innovations that are obscured by implicit and explicit bias. And that if you can overcome them, you actually have an investment advantage. And it's, it plays out in, in all sorts of ways. It plays out in sort of startup, you know, entrepreneur world where you spot diverse founders who are tackling problems that, you know, the white male bro culture of Silicon Valley may not be focused on. It plays out in emerging markets or growth markets around the world where if you focus on, you know, who's doing the spending and the buying in households, you know, you have a whole different way of looking at, um, you know, at, at consumer markets, all kinds of ways in which a gender lens, you know, gives you an investment advantage. What's interesting now is there's actually now, as these things go, you know, the next turn of the screw is, well, you know, should we just have gender inclusion, racial inclusion, because it's a good investment? Or should it, or is it because it's, you know, it's the right thing to do? And obviously, you know, that's, you know, it obviously is the right thing to do. Um, but there's a pushback now on this kind of on this kind of investment advantage. Right. Question, so it, it's not just the morally right thing to do, but it's the argument is uh, that there's a case to be made. But it's also the smart thing to do, that it's, it's smart to uh, uh, look through uh, investment opportunities through these lenses uh, because you will ultimately uh, see things that other investors, especially other investors who aren't representative of uh, the communities and markets that you're trying to reach uh, might overlook. And so therefore you have uh, an advantage as an impact investor. But so you'll, you'll find this shocking, but I really hate a lot of those studies. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think Is it that, like the typeface? Is it the... Uh, the no, it's, you know, I think there is, like, I just think it's really lazy, simplistic thinking, right? I think that it's really easy to say oh, well, if you have more women, this idea, oh, if you have more women, that's going to mean that you have people who think differently and therefore that will result in better results is, you know, quite frankly, bullshit a lot of the time, right? That, for example... Are we allowed to curse on this podcast? I've done it before. Oh, okay. Just <laughs> I am also because I'm a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag time's up. I can swear. Um, Hashtag but... you got it. <laughs> Like, like it's, you know, it's not just about gender, right? There are other factors that come into bear, particularly, for example, e education and socioeconomic position, right? So that I am much more likely to think like somebody who grew up with the same opportunities and the same background that I did, regardless of their gender, than I am someone who came from a very different background, right? So just oversimplify it and assume that somehow women or minorities or whatever it is 
have magic fairy dust that is going to magically make businesses better is stupid. And it's also... <laughs> I'm already hitting my marks today. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you might be our, our resident woman, but you're certainly our resident curmudgeon. And I think that you're really uh, bringing your A game to that aspect of your identity but today. It's, you know, but I'm actually, I mean, I, you know, I've actually been doing a lot of research on this lately because I'm working on a white paper on this related topic. And, you know, it's also clear that small businesses with homogeneous cultures can do well. You see this clearly in Silicon Valley. Right, you see it with the, the startups that did really well. You see it with the venture capital firms that did really well. There is clearly a tipping point where that starts to change, and it is no longer the case. But, but it's very difficult to argue that I don't know, like Apple wasn't a roaring success, and that the homogeneity around it in the early days didn't contribute to that. So I think it becomes like intellectually really dangerous to try and make these simplistic arguments. Because what happens when you have evidence to the contrary? Are we going to say, you know, there's a research paper out, um, I think it was published in 2017, about how women underperform as venture capitalists. And it's a really fascinating study. Are we just going to look at that and say, well, you know what, since women are obviously terrible, we're not going to hire any. You know, I, I just, I, I struggle with those studies. Well, that's the live by the sword, die by the sword question that I was just raising, which is, it, 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 you know, the argument, as, as Brian said, was, you know, it's not just... Uh, the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do. Now the backlash is it's not just the smart thing to do, it's the right thing to do. Because you don't want to only be, um, uh, you know, slave to, you know, the outperformance, you know, because you've now got women on the board or you've got women in leadership or, you you know, or, or you've got a gender lens generally. And, 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 oh, that turned out to not be, you know, not be an investment thesis. So let's abandon it. That's, that's obviously not the, not the conclusion to be drawn from that. There was one uh, you'll love, Imogen, or you'll hate, as the case may be, um, a report that came out just yesterday that actually ascribed leadership uh, virtues or leadership capacities that are required to seize the opportunity presented by the UN Sustainable Development Goals and that things like long-term thinking, innovation around complex social issues, collaboration across markets, all these things are the leadership capacities required and and then the next step in the logic is women exhibit those leadership capacities and then the next step is therefore women leaders are essential to realizing the opportunities of the and sustainable so development And so my goals. rebuttal to that is how's it working out in the UK right now with Theresa May? Like I don't think that gender is the issue I think the person is the issue right? I think that you can have good women leaders and you can have terrible women leaders. You can have good male leaders, you can have terrible male leaders. I do think that as a leader, you have a responsibility to promote inclusion, right? And then the question becomes, what does that mean and what does it look like and how much inclusion do you have to have for it to be effective? What well, I think we're also we're getting at we're getting at issues of systems and structures though in about who's making these decisions. Um, so of course you can have great women leaders and, and you can have not so great women leaders and you can have great male leaders and not so great male leaders. But it's about how uh, do women get the opportunity? M women and other underrepresented communities get the ability to even you know try to make a go for it and, and try their hand at leadership. So you know, and, and I think this comes to this this notion of pattern matching, right? You know, people look to hire uh, people like themselves, and so if uh, 
and there's all kinds of signals that people send off uh, about their identity and who they want to be around. And one of those signals is obviously uh, gender. And I think that uh, I think that's a real issue. And, and, and so it's impact investing needs to be aware of these issues and needs to, uh, I think, those who are in positions of power need to understand their broader mandate. Well, and I think you actually raised a good point as well, which is, does impact need to focus more, less on like, you know, knocking out stupid white papers about how women are inherently whatever, and more on how do we achieve system change to ensure that there is diversity throughout the system, which is going to result in better and more diverse people in positions of authority, which in turn will result in less discrimination and less abuse. So for example, should impact be focused on things like supporting legislation that seeks to encourage diversity and or you know, publish instances of harassment at um, asset management firms and stuff like that. Well, it's, it's it's interesting. You know, there's there's a we've just been doing a series where we call the New Revivalists, and it's folks around the country who are um, nurturing kind of these entrepreneurial ecosystems that you know create small companies that create jobs, and that there's kind of a, a, a movement on around the around the country to. Uh, uh, to revive entrepreneurship. And the key to that movement, frankly, is that it doesn't look a lot like, you know, what sort of the classic small business community necessarily looked like. It looks a lot like women and racial minorities, immigrants, um, you know, people who have been excluded from access to capital. Um, And when you have an act, when you have a lens where you're solving real problems with people in the community, you know, it turns out that that is going to be an inclusive lens because those are the people, you know, starting businesses and whatnot. So if you, so, so many of these funds turn out to have, you know, 50 or percent or more, you know, founders, women, of women, people of color, what have you, you know, not necessarily out of some, you know, quota system or something, obviously, but out of just because that's who they are finding are the folks to invest in. So there are some, you know, some interesting uh, patterns, you know, uh, emerging where, you know, it's not, it's not a, it's not an inclusion thing in a box checking way. It's an actual, that's where the opportunities are. And that's, I mean, that's the microfinance story as well, right? So, so that's what I say at the beginning. It's like impact is designed to reach those people who have been excluded from the system. So maybe the answer is in part, we find better ways to reach those people and also, to raise them up so it's not just kind of like a subsistence thing but we're really figuring out how how does this part of the community grow at the same rate as you know the educated wealthy white male section of the community i also think that that's where you know the impact you know to the extent that impact you know some of it is in fact part of the venture capital world or the private equity world you know that this is where you know emerging managers are being you know incubated in a very explicit way and that will i think you know provide people with the track record and what have you and that there's a way in which you know the track record you know sort of is is all so um we'll we'll have in the in the next couple years you know um lots of managers now on their second funds or their third funds and people you know moving moving through 
the finance world um, who have not only come from diverse, diverse backgrounds, but have a whole uh, different approach to how to even look for investments. I think 30 years of history and the impact that the emerging manager industry would argue that it's not as sim simple as that. Um, I think that is, that is a very difficult and challenging topic in and of its own. Um, and I, you know, you can also see the flip side of the argument, which is, you know, we all get really excited when TPG raises an impact fund or BlackRock raises an impact fund or, you know, KKR raises an impact fund. You know, is, is anyone doing enough to ensure that those, not just those funds, but those managers who have those funds truly are diverse and are inclusive and not just in terms of like, you know, having women and minorities in their ranks, but ensuring that they have them in invest, investment roles and in senior roles. Well, I think that gets back to an issue of uh, talent pipeline and, and opportunity no, pipeline. No, it doesn't. That is like... Why, why doesn't it get back to it? Because there are plenty of... If I was, if you were to say to a woman, you know, this idea that there are not enough women, talented women or minorities out there to do this special thing that we call private equity is clearly bullshit no, right well, like no, no, it's no. not i mean that is the excuse that I, every single private equity manager gives it that that there is not enough talent the pipe that there's a pipeline problem it's not a pipeline problem no no no. i'm not saying that there's not talented uh women or minorities out there to work in private equity i'm saying that <laughs> private equity firms are not bringing enough of the talented women and minorities into their ranks to be in a position to uh lead a kkr or uh, a black rock fund that's what I'm saying. Um, yeah, but that's what they would say. They would say, well, we, we, we try. It's really hard. The women just aren't out there. And my point is, is it's not that hard. Well, I'm saying it's it, that, that's because of systems and structures around pattern matching and, and people, uh, you know, people liking to be around people who look and think and act like them. Uh, and, and that way. So yeah, we're, we're basically arguing the same we're, thing. We're, but we're saying it's, same, it's, same point, <laughs> but I think we have a different nuance on bringing to the the concept. They have, they, they, I mean, it's again, it's they they think they have right. They have programs in place. They think that they're trying, but they aren't willing to take a chance. At a certain level, they are unwilling to take a chance on something that to them seems to look different, and therefore, in their minds, the pipeline does not exist. But I think there's another, I mean, you asked about the, you asked about legislation or what have you, and I think there's another force that perhaps even more powerful, which is the clients of the, you know, investment advisors, the wealth management firms and whatnot, increasingly are women. And the women who are either, you know, outliving their husbands or inheriting wealth from, you know, through the generations or have generating their own wealth um, are driving much of this discussion. And the firms are at least, you know, going to be you know, under some pressure, competitive pressure to respond to that and maybe window dressing at first, but eventually people start asking for, for proof and, and evidence, right? So, I mean, it will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if women actually walk the walk on that. Again, there have been a series of studies that show that inflows, like even women investors prefer, prefer funds, in, prefer mutual funds that are run by men. So historically, it hasn't necessarily been the case that women will pick women investment managers. You know, is is the impact investment community going to see that change? Hopefully so, right? Okay, well, I think we're going to have to leave it there. That's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. Happy International Women's Day to you, David. Thank you, Brian. And happy International Women's Day to you, Imogen. 
Thank you. This podcast has been a production of Impact Alpha. Thank you, uh, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. Be sure to sign up for Impact Alpha's newsletter, The Brief, providing daily news and actionable intelligence for the growing number of people, women and men, working to build an inclusive, resilient, and prosperous future. Until next time, thanks so much.